You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We have been in a series called Bumper Sticker Theology, where we have been taking the time to look at the many different statements made in the religious world that they sound so good, they sound so encouraging, but then when we lay them down next to the Word of God and when we look at them through the eyes of God, we realize man, these things could not be further from the truth. This is not at all what Scripture teaches. We've looked at some bumper sticker statements like, God won't give you more than you can handle, or just follow your heart, or God just wants me to be happy. And again, these things sound good, they sound right, but still, they aren't found in the Word of God. So what we've been doing is thinking about what is found in the Word of God that sounds a little bit like what people often say. And today we're going to finish this series by looking at this last bumper sticker, just be yourself. (laughs) Just be yourself. Is that an idea that God wants us to live by? Well, think about these scenarios. Think about a young teenager who may be leaving for his first date. His palms are sweaty, his heart is racing, and his mom, trying to calm his nerves, says, Don't worry, honey. Just be yourself. You'll be fine. Or what about that college graduate who walks into his first interview after graduation? He really needs that job to help pay off some student loans. But he's so nervous, and that little voice in the back of his head keeps telling him, just be yourself. (laughs) Don't try too hard. Don't try to impress. Just be yourself. Answer their questions, and it will all work out. Or a husband and wife are about to begin the journey of marriage, and they're a little bit uneasy, not knowing what to expect. They're anxious. But older people at the reception who've been married a while, they keep telling them, oh, just be yourself and your marriage will thrive. Will it really? Is that all it takes to just be yourself? That statement sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty harmless. And honestly, that's the way that many people approach faith or think about the church or the whole idea of following Jesus. They say, just be yourself. 
and it will all work out. But you know, if you think about it, that's crazy. Why would you want to be yourself? Yourself stinks. It really does. Now, let me be clear. You shouldn't try to be something or someone you aren't. Nobody likes that. But this idea of being yourself is still a terrible statement. You know why? Because Jesus came to save you from you. Yourself is not in line with God's will. That's why Jesus was needed. Shouldn't we try to be something else? I think we should. And so today in this final episode of this series, I want to walk through three different passages that I think kind of describe that process. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I'm labeling that passage today as our spiritual history. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just kind of paraphrase some of the statements found in that passage. Uh, Paul uses two different pronouns to talk about two main groups in the church at Ephesus. He uses the pronoun you, and he uses the pronoun we. That's because Paul was writing to two different audiences there in the church. The you, in my opinion, refers to the Gentiles. Like Paul says in verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. For all people, but especially for the Gentile nation, those outside of the Israelite covenant with God, before Jesus, the future was very bleak because they did not have a Savior. They did not have the law. They did not have the temple. They did not have the promises of the patriarchs. They were dead in their transgressions and sins. But we also find the word we. And again, in my opinion, I may be wrong about this, but the we was not for the Gentiles. The we was for the Jews. Paul was a fellow Jew. And he said in verse 3, all of us lived among them, the Gentiles, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So Paul says, everyone was and is in trouble without Jesus, and that's never going to change. I think it's really easy to convince ourselves, but I grew up in the church. I've been doing this my whole life. What do I need to be saved from? Well, you need to be saved from yourself. That's why you just can't be yourself. Paul writes in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. No one is exempt. I think it's interesting how Paul describes our wrongdoing with the words transgressions and sins. Those words are synonyms, but sin in this context means to totally miss the mark. It comes from a word which describes how an archer would aim his arrow for a target and then miss completely. In fact, it's used 175 times in Scripture. We miss the mark without Jesus. We go beyond the target. 
or we don't go far enough. We miss to the left, we miss to the right, but sin keeps us from hitting the bullseye. Sin keeps us from making contact with the Savior. And so Paul says that we were subject of God's wrath, or better said, we were guilty, but because of his great love and mercy, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. In other words, God saved you from yourself. So if God saved you from yourself, if that is your spiritual history, why should you just be yourself? Because again, yourself stinks. The second passage is what I would call what God calls us to do. We've talked about our spiritual history, but this passage kind of gives us the outline from God for how we are supposed to live our life. And it's found in Romans 6, 3 and 4, a powerful passage about the necessity of baptism. In fact, in this passage, Paul makes it very clear that as Christians, we've died to sin. That's how we became Christians. And that death process occurs through Baptism. Baptism is a burial. It's an immersion. That's why we don't sprinkle. That's why we don't pour. It's like going under and coming back up, being buried beneath and in the blood of Jesus. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized, immersed into Christ, we were baptized into his death. Biblically speaking, there's no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. You become a Christian when you die. And biblically, the way that you die is through baptism. But baptism isn't just about death. It's also about life. Because Paul says in verse 4 that we are raised to walk in newness of life. So once we've been baptized, what we're supposed to be now cannot be what we used to be. If we come up out of the baptistry and we don't change the way we live, we didn't really get immersed. We just got wet. If we are living a different life, it's pretty simple. We will act differently. And Paul does not say that we sit in newness of life, and Paul does not say that we stand in newness of life. No, Paul says we are to walk in newness of life. It is to be a day-by-day decision to be different. Why? Why is it so important for us to be different? Because we can't just be ourselves. Something has to change. And then in Romans 12, the third passage we're looking at today, Paul explains kind of how we do it. The Ephesians 2 is our spiritual history. The Romans 6 is what God calls us to do. But the Romans 12 is kind of the instructions on how we live a different life. In fact, Paul begins the instructions by saying, I urge you in view of God's mercy. It's interesting. This terminology is not really command vernacular. 
This is more of a sincere request and urging. Why do you think it's an urging rather than a mandate? Maybe because when you ask someone to do something rather than force them to do it, it's a little bit more meaningful, isn't it? And Paul is making this sincere, meaningful request in view of God's mercy. The mercy that we've already discussed in this episode, in view of the fact that at one time you were dead in your transgressions, but God made you alive in Christ, in view of that perception, offer your body as a living sacrifice. You know, sacrifices were a big deal for that culture. We know it was for the Jews and even for some pagan religions. But you know, no animal ever said, well, here am I, sacrifice me, I volunteer. But Paul tells us that's what we're supposed to say. And that's what we're supposed to think, and that's how we are supposed to live. We are to volunteer. We are to give up our lives for the glory of God. And Paul says, offer your body as a sacrifice. You can't offer someone else's body as a sacrifice. You can't offer your spouse's body or your children's body or your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ's bodies. It's your responsibility. It is your life. It is your death. It is your obedience. And again, it's a living sacrifice. Just like walking in newness of life is a daily decision, becoming a living sacrifice is a daily affair. You keep doing it over and over and over again. Some writer once wrote, a lot of Christians say that they're going to become a living sacrifice, but they very quickly crawl off the altar. They realize how hard it is and sometimes how painful it can be, and so they say, no thanks, I'm done. This is not a one-time sacrifice. This is a lifestyle. And Paul says, here's how you're going to become that living sacrifice. You're not going to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There are some patterns that we do need to conform to. The pattern that we find in Scripture about the church. The pattern that we find in Scripture for how someone is saved. We need to conform to those patterns, but we don't conform to the pattern of this world. Just because the world says that something is right does not mean that it is just because the world says that something is true does not mean that it's false, and just because the world says that something is false does not mean that it's true. In fact, in this day and age, if the world says something is right, you can almost guarantee, biblically and spiritually, it's wrong. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Paul says, rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which describes the way that a caterpillar changes, transforms into a butterfly. That transformation is supposed to overtake our life. We are supposed to change into something that is not only completely different, but something that is much, much better. 
And Paul says that transformation is fueled by the renewing of your mind. If you want to change the way that you live, you have to change the way that you think. You have to decide that it is critically important and your habits won't change until your mind changes with it. And interestingly enough, Paul says, then and only then can we test and approve what God's will is. Once we've become that living sacrifice, once we have refused to conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds, then we can test and approve what God's will is. Now think about this. Where is God's will found? Well, it's found in his word. So does that mean that Paul could be saying that we will never truly understand God's word the way that we should until we become a living sacrifice? Someone says, you know, God's word does nothing for me. It doesn't inspire me. It doesn't convict me. It's just old language that I find completely boring and out of touch with reality. Could it be? Could it be that the reason they feel that way about the Word of God is because they have not become a living sacrifice? Now, Paul says, if you want to be able to test and approve what God's will is, uh, there's a prerequisite. And that prerequisite is to become a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I ask you again, if all of this must happen for us to be the people that God wants us to be, why in the world would it be okay just to be ourselves? Now, to be fair, like I said earlier, I partly understand the motivation behind the phrase, just be yourself. No one likes a copycat. And you shouldn't try to live your life the way someone else lives their life because you think that's the best way to be. But the entire notion that you can just be yourself before God is false. It's wrong. One, you'll never be good enough just to be yourself before God. And two, our world today is sending a message that is so diametrically opposed to the will and to the way of God. The, the world says, just be yourself. You decide if you're a male or a female. Just be yourself. You decide who you want to marry, even if they are the same sex that you are. Just be yourself. You decide how God made you, rather than how God decided to make you in his image. God does not want you to be yourself. God wants you to be like him. God does not want you to be yourself. God wants you to be like him. And that begins by dying to yourself. That begins by being buried in the waters of baptism. If you have not made that choice, you are still dead in your transgressions. You are dead in your sins, and that needs to change. 
And maybe you're someone who has made that decision in the past, but you're like that person who decided to become a living sacrifice, but you very quickly crawled off the altar. Things got a little bit too challenging and you decided to quit. If you find yourself in either one of those positions today as someone who needs to be baptized or as someone who's been baptized but you've walked away from your calling, we want to help you. At Preston Crest, we want to be your church home. And if you're not in the Dallas area, I would love to help you in any way that I can. Please email me at jacob at prestoncrest.org and we can continue this conversation further. God does not want you to be yourself. Friend, God wants you to be like him. As always, I encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven. May God richly bless your day. And I look forward to talking with you next time.